0: the following is a ca original the mighty sound of the south tailgating on tiger lane tom three at the liberty bowl each one a memphis football tradition this is the tiger football podcast with beat reporter tom Shad and columnist jeff Calkins.
1: all right what's up y'all we are back after a win
0: yeah we're here to gloat over our predictions We did both get it. Yeah, we both. we both. Not only did we both get it right, I swear, I think I said forty-five, forty-one, and it was forty-eight, forty-five. I apologize for having a four-point margin instead of the ultimate three-point margin that it turned out to be. On my radio show, I also said it would come down to whether Josh Rosenmeade turns the ball over or not. Like, do you want me to tell you what's happening this week? I was going to say, did you buy Holy a lottery crap. ticket? crap. It's uh, I'm very seldom right, so I have to gloat when I when I can. That Mega Millions thing and the, and the me- lottery is done, <laughs> yes, right? That, so you, missed, you God, missed the boat on I do that. Do need to do that anyway. Yeah,
1: fun fun day though. But it is, and and this was one of the things. I mean, we'll we'll break down a lot of what happened in the game and everything. But I think one of the most interesting things, and I wrote this in the morning after. I think you you touch on it in your column too, is it it's not like Ole Miss where it was a shock where we came back in after the Ole Miss game and we were like nobody thought that they went like we thought that they would win. They were very, and and granted UCLA was not what Ole Miss was in 2015, but I feel like the program has kind of reached a point where this isn't a surprise anymore. Like you go in against a team with a, with a Josh Rosen that's, you know, ranked albeit barely in the top 25 and you have a fighter's chance. Like, does that speak to kind of, I I kind of
0: wrote in the morning after that. I think that speaks to kind of how the program has, has evolved a little bit. Well, I think, um, I think no question. Once upon a time, this program would win big games in like the game against Tennessee in '96, and it would be woohoo. But it was aberrational. It wasn't symbolic of anything. It didn't represent where the program was at all. Yeah. I think that was different in the Ole Miss game. I think that that we didn't expect it, but that wasn't just a holy crap out of the blue. This miserable team jumped up and beat this uh, great team. Sure. It was still evidence of progress. This one, um, I think. M- it clearly was was was. I think you have grown to expect more of the program. I also think it's true that UCLA was not as feared as an Ole Miss team that beats Alabama. You know, like it, it, and they were banged up. They, they were real banged. Memphis up. Memphis was also banged up. True. Um, so, but they're not. They're not as good as that Ole Miss team was. But, um, but to me, it is the whole thing was still remarkably similar. Eleven o'clock kickoff. Unbelievably great. You know. You know a a I Josh Rosen's better than Chad Kelly, but a highly touted quarterback on the other side, a um, a coach, um, sort of a hot young coach, a quarterback for Memphis who's trying to prove himself on a national stage who people hadn't really... Like, it's set up similar. in a very similar fashion, and it was actually a much more exciting game because the Memphis game, in the end... The, 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 you know, the Ole Miss game, they ran off a bunch of, Memphis ran off a bunch of points. It wasn't as as compelling as this game. This game was, you didn't know who was going to win until Jacoby Francis batted that pass down at the end. And by the way, the fact that it was Jacoby Francis batting that pass down Terrific. is at the end, is a story in and of itself. You talk about who's banged up, like the, 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 and you wrote a story about the defense and, and, um, and how they saved a bunch of blitzes. And I thought I thought that was really interesting because they, they certainly needed him in the end. And as, as much as you can criticize the defense, the fact that they held that UCLA team, which basically had scored 97 points in the last 11 minutes against Texas a right. and <laughs> to zero points in the last 11 minutes. Like, that's impressive. That was an impressive moment and something for them to hold on to in a win that was primarily about Riley Ferguson and Anthony Miller in the offense. The Jacoby Francis
1: thing... Like, people have asked, what's, like, the coolest story? Like, that, to me, is the single coolest storyline out of that game. Because, yes, Riley had a really good game. Anthony had a really good game. But they, I mean, you kind of know what they, if you watch the team, like, you kind of right. know what they are. Jacoby Francis was a guy that was practicing with the scout team. Like, he was a guy that they did not expect to use right this year, let alone in the second their second game against UCLA, against Josh Rosen. and that was his first collegiate action. Like yeah. he had, he was a redshirt freshman, redshirted last year. And then you can go back even farther than that. He was one of the kids that originally committed to Justin Fuente, and then when Fuente left, Norvell wanted to keep him on as a commit. And he was one of the. It was like him and Thomas Pickens was was another one. Right. Um, Jihad Booker was another like yep. they that. A couple where like, you know, they could have gotten released and right. started looking at other schools, but like. Jacoby Francis was one of those guys that stuck with it and got to know the new coaching staff and talked with Marcus Woodson and decided I still want to go to Memphis. And so I think that's an interesting subplot in and of itself that like the guy that makes that play is kind of a representation in that way of the continuity of of the program and kind of, you know, how it's continued kind of between. And that's kind of the, uh, on a larger point. Like I feel like, you know, you had the D'Angelo years, you had the, the Tennessee win in 96. Not that they were f- fluky, but it was like, this is this is why like it was the, it was the D'Angelo thing, and then even twenty fifteen, it was like Paxton and and Fuente, and it was
0: more than than that. But I think this is kind of evidence of some of the depth across the, across the team. I think that's definitely true. There's 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 more talent across the board on this team um, than there was certainly in the D'Angelo years, which was really more of a one man show. I think <clears throat> that was a little less true of the Paxton years, but still. Um, and then and then you get to to now and you see people like the fact that tim hart is even redshirted isn't of itself like in in a former era he would not have been he's too good to have been redshirted you have just thrown him in there and said please save us and now you can redshirt a guy like that who's clearly a talented player and and um and makes a difference and made a huge play
1: and so this year you're gonna lose riley you're gonna lose anthony you know you're gonna lose some key pieces but you're still gonna have patrick taylor you're still going to have Daryl Henderson. You're still going to have Demonte Coxie, who played and and has not had any catches yet this season. I don't think maybe he had one in the first game, but um, you know you're still going to have Tim Hart. You're still going to have T.J. Carter. You have like, you know whatever. You're still have like, you know,
0: have all these dudes. The the one and I'm not talking about next year. You had the one interesting thing as people talk about, which they have already. I'll say quietly. Moving on from Mike Marvell.
1: <laughs> as his voice lowers to a whisper. Mike
0: Norvell, we might you know what might ultimately have to replace him. But regardless, I'm actually interested in like, I do think that the depth and talent of this team is such that next year, whether it's Mike Norvell or someone else, you can keep it going. The one, the one position, it's really hard to hire the right coach three years in a row for whatever, or to get the like, you know, what else is hard to get the right quarterback. The idea that they've had Paxton Lynch and then Riley Ferguson. Sure. And we know Riley's leaving, not because uh, Paxton had to make a decision. Riley doesn't have to make a decision. He's a senior. The idea that you can find another quarterback like that next year is is you know who knows. And I'm not you know, you know but but just a it's remarkable. For the longest time, this team really struggled to have quarterbacks, and now you've had two back to back who are just magnificent. Speaking of quarterbacks, I
1: don't think that it's fair to say that Riley. Outdueled Josh Rosen, but I certainly think that in that game they were kind of neck and neck, and I think that's been the national. Like Riley was on SportsCenter this morning, you know, and they're talking about, oh, he had six touchdown passes, and Josh Rosen only had four. And do you, did
0: you think? Here's weirdly weirdly, it felt like Rosen had to do more. Like if you were asking me which was the guy who was surrounded by the better weapons and had to do less and just act. It was it was Riley. It was Rosen who like if Rosen wasn't making the play, they weren't scoring. Sure, you know. And often it was like the, some of the throws he made are just transcendent. Some of the throws that Josh Rosen made that one out of the end zone
1: where like lot to of the, the end tight zone end was
0: awful. It was unbelievable, like, incredible. It's just incredible throw. Honestly, the one the twenty one yard touchdown pass to the left corner of from where we're, to the left corner of the end zone was perfect. Too. Yeah, just absolutely yeah. perfect. Um. But he was part of the reason he made mistakes is because he had to force the play like he was it. And so did he outduel him? I think the prettiest throws, although Riley made some pretty ones, too, like the fade Anthony Miller was pretty. The play before it where he hit Miller on the long bound was pretty. Um, I think the prettiest throws maybe were Josh Rosen's. But. Chash turned it over twice, including a pick six, which was just stupid. They like were bad turnovers. Bad turnovers. The one thrown across the field I was just stupid, and then, um, and 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 Riley turned it over once on a ball that was tipped. It, it, not only was it
1: tipped, it was a complete, complete miscommunication yeah, on. Yeah, what RPO. happened? Do you know what happened? Well, so it was a they run these run pass options, right? Right. And basically, if you go back and watch the film, you can tell that all those wide receivers are going out to block. So they think that, and I don't know if that was like a, a, a read that they all weren't on the same right. page or something like a call before, but like Riley thought that he was going to throw it and the receiver's all thought like Anthony Miller's going out to block. So that was just a miscommunication. Basically, Tony Pollard tried to like turn around and catch it at the last minute, but right. that was, that was amusing. So,
0: so he didn't throw, really throw a bad ball and he did. Like he had the six touchdowns. He, and so I, I don't think he outdueled him, but, he did what Danny Wimprine did against Eli when they beat him in 2003. He played him to a standstill, and he didn't make the turnovers. Eli threw the two picks in the fourth quarter in that game, and in this game, Josh Rosen uh, threw the threw the picks. And so I think his I mean, his game overall was a better game. He deserved to be. And, and to me, I, I'm with you that I think the Jacoby Francis story is, is better because we're just learning it. There is a certain pleasure in seeing a story that we've known for a year and a half now practically go national with you know, to, to see Riley asked about the, oh, the fence, working at the fencing company. Literally everybody is, yeah. Like, everyone's like latching onto the fencing company story, which I wrote um, you know, last July, a year and a half ago in July. And then Riley was also asked today about all of his tattoos, which is a story you wrote earlier. And I'm not resenting that at all. Like that's it's just nice to see local stories with people who you like and believe in go national and to see people. I'm glad that, that the whole country is getting to hear about the working at the, uh, at the fence place. Um, Cause that means he's doing great. I think the one thing that you come
1: away from in that game and, and this is huge when you go to the next level is taking care of the ball and being smart. And one of the things that Josh Rosen, I mean, Josh Rosen after the game and, and his interview with, I just saw the video of it. Obviously I was on the Memphis side, but terrific. And he said basically, I was trying to play hero ball. Guy like, was trying to do everything. I was trying to put the team on my back, whatever. Wow. And he's and he's forcing a lot of those those throws and but and he didn't handle pressure well at the end, you know, like and a lot of the credit goes Memphis defense. You know, like the one, like the pick that TJ Carter had, Austin Hall is lined up ten yards behind the line of scrimmage and just disguises it perfectly and basically gets like a full a full on sprint. And just times it so that right, they, right as they snap the ball, he's like past the left, the left tackle, and so they get a lot of credit for that. But Rosen, I mean, that's a throw that he should have just thrown out of bounds right. and just killed, or thrown it at somebody's feet. Or and Riley, you saw him a bunch of times just throw it at someone's feet. And Riley, there are times where he's rolling out and you throw know it in the stands, throws it in the stands, jogs back to the huddle, and I think that is something that is tough for a lot of quarterbacks. You know, especially when you come out of high school and. You know, you're on your, you're the star of your high school team. You're counting on to make all the plays and you need to do everything yourself. Like it's hard to transition to the next level and realize I
0: don't need to do everything myself. And it, I think that he showed that. It was an interesting week for Memphis because right before then, and I don't think we've talked about this yet, you had the rescheduling of the UCF game. Right. And, right. and that didn't, to me, that's not something that Memphis wanted to do. They did it because the conference made them do it and they needed to do it. But they didn't want, they weren't ducking UCF the first time around the hell. They flew all the way down there. But now, if you had a choice between playing Georgia State and, and UCF, you'd go ahead and play Georgia State. They want to recruit in Atlanta. Like they want to, like it, they didn't want to go back and do UCF. I will say, having played this game and won this game, I even thought Riley started slow. Until you got those screen passes, he sort of. St- Like, it felt like they found themselves in the process of this game. And so now when they go back to Central Florida, although I picked them last time, I just sort of picked them because I picked them earlier in the year. Now I actually sort of believe in them in a way that I didn't because it looked like they found they reminded themselves or whatever of, of who they were and found themselves after a rugged start to the season, difficult start to the season, that they sort of became the team that they can become. How good do you think they are? Uh, in terms of just broadly speaking, in would you change? I forgot what you said at the big outset. Would you nine and three, and would you stick nine and three? Probably,
1: but I think a lot of it. I think, in my mind, a lot of it depends on what they're able to do with the momentum from this game, right? So I think winning winning this game was important, but I think we saw in 2015 for one reason or another after the old miss game, they had a couple wins and then they just kind of sputtered out. And I think that in retrospect, that twenty fifteen could have handled the emotions of that win.
0: Now a lot of people blame that better. on Fuente looking for jobs. I, I don't think that's fair because the the you point to the Houston game. They played magnificently in the first half of that Houston game and they right. lost it because of the second half and because of a missed field goal. And none of that had to do with Justin Fuente looking for a job. And so I don't necessarily buy that. What do you think, though, the idea, which is something that Mike Norvell brought up, which is that even as they beat UCLA, they really did play an imperfect game. And that helps them to carry. That that was sort of what he was emphasizing. But I think it does sort of help that they, that they will be able to show them lots of things that they screwed up on. And I think it, it helps them focus on the task at hand. I, I think there's
1: potential for that, yeah. But I think part of it is you still got to go out and do it. I think Justin Fuente. I don't know if he. I can't remember if he did, but he probably would have said the same thing after Ole Miss. You know that, and it sounds great, but a lot of it is how the team responds. Or because when you look back at that 15 season, that was the
0: emotional peak, and and I think the team like. But what then happened is then what happened though is that they lose to Navy. And that could happen this year too. Sure. That you, Navy plays a different game. I don't think that was because they they not wanted their emotional peak. That was because it's freaking Navy and the triple option and they demoralize you and you get no possessions and Paxton played a bad game and whatever. And then they were still at a pretty high peak because they go down and they nearly beat Houston. After that, they were drained. And so in the national emotionally, they gave up. And so in the course of a season, if you lose those games, then I think there's a moment to let go of the rope, but until they until they start losing some of those games, I don't think they're going to let go of the rope. Uh, and and yeah, I I agree with you. But I
1: mean, you're so the the question was how good is this team? I think you have to have a pretty optimistic view based on the the result and and really the resilience there in the fourth quarter right. against UCLA. But far more important is going to be.
0: What do they do against Navy at home? And then, more importantly, well, how do they respond on a short week on the road Houston. at Houston? There's big tests ahead, and plus, there's there's two things I want to talk to you about. We got to wrap up here in just a little bit. Two very clear weaknesses of the team: kicking game uh, has been an, int- an adventure, and then the depth in the secondary. Uh, we we mentioned Jacoby Francis because he made the play, but he wasn't supposed to be playing. Depth in the secondary will be an issue. How big are each of those?
1: Uh, significant i think and that's a, and that's a reason why like i think everybody who's saying you know oh they're going to the new Year's six like that's the thing it's like oh memphis they're the new year six
0: like right. darling they're going no, on the bus but you might have to hit a field goal to win a game at some point and will they hit the field goal
1: right so they've attempted and that i think was a factor and Norvell hasn't said this but i think that probably was a factor in the fake not super confident they only attempted they've attempted one field goal this season and it was a 20 yarder i think that is a big issue and I think that over time, you know, it'll it'll come if one of the guys establishes themselves or if they start hitting a couple. And but that is a concern because you don't think about the past couple of years, everything that Jake Elliott, like all of the, you know, the Temple game in fourteen, you know, that he he goes out and wins with the game yep. winner or the Miami Beach Bowl win that doesn't happen unless he gets <laughs> right. the fifty whatever yarder to to tie. Like so, I think that that could potentially down the road at something that could there be there will be
0: at. a close game where you have to make a kick and if they can't make the kick they will lose that game and that's just simply true.
1: Or where you miss an extra point or something and that ends up changing your strategy. I mean I, I just think I think that's still definitely a, a concern. And in terms of the secondary depth also a concern uh I'm intrigued to see Marcus Green was one of those right. JUCO transfers back. had the injury in the spring. He's out there he did some kind of individual position type stuff at practice today. And Norvell said he's working hard to get back. They don't know exactly, you know, when he's going to be back yet. That is helpful because they had, you know, they had high hopes for him when they signed him. Doesn't have to be
0: back for this week, but it would be nice pretty soon after
1: that. The following week, yeah. And if he can come, it's not just if he can come back, but if he can come back and be be a, you know, a top three corner for you, I mean, that's huge. And then obviously monitoring Christian Slaughter left left the game and he's probably not your number one corner Corner, you know, but I think he's a guy that you need out there, and so if he's healthy, you know, I think you're in okay shape. But that is, I mean, that is a concern. Like at, at one point, you know, in the third quarter, their two corners were Jacoby Francis and Jameel Collins. Th- those just, I don't think those That's are guys the that they have, mind, they right. had
0: planned, yeah, to have out there in the third quarter. It was like, a, uh, it was a magnificent thing. It was just a lot of fun, and and to have it play out exactly the way you would have hoped, to have it be both a beautiful day, a little hot for some of you who aren't sitting in the air conditioned press box. I understand, but a beautiful day mesmerizing football and then the victory on top of it it was just perfect
1: the game itself too was just you couldn't look away it was crazy yeah and then just i mean i thought i thought we'd gotten all the craziness out of the system and
0: then the fake field goal with three (laughs) minutes left and then i'm just and there the argument is is that no one has a problem with going for it but if you're going to go for it you've got riley ferguson who's unstoppable why not have riley ferguson try to throw the ball. Like, why not just do that? Like Riley and Anthony Miller, rather than this fake, which obviously you now, I still think it was the wrong call to do the fake because I, I think, I think when you have Riley doing what Riley was doing and Anthony Miller doing what, like, do that. But that's fine. It set up an opportunity for the defense to make a play, to draw some confidence for the fact that they made a play. All's well and ends well.
1: So this week, Southern Illinois FCS team, be interesting to see kind of what the turnout is and what the the vibe is for for that one, if they're able to replicate, because that's I think going to be the key. You can draw a big crowd for UCLA. It's kinda what, what kind yeah, of what. Yeah, I think draw if people
0: were a little bit. I, I would have liked to seen them get over fifty for UCLA. I'll be honest with you. I would sure. just like a little bit more. I think the next big crowd will be Navy. I, I think there'll be a nice crowd Saturday, but then if they can beat UCF and you come back and you're playing Navy and you got people from Millington and whatever, I think that crowd will be big. If you're undefeated going into the Navy game, that's a bigger crowd than UCLA. I agree.
1: Well, we will be out there on, uh, on Saturday when they take out Southern Illinois, and we will be back next week to break it all down and preview UCF. Uh, for Jeff, I'm Tom. Thanks as always for listening.
0: The Tiger Football Podcast is hosted by Tom Shad and Jeff Calkins. A new episode of the Tiger Football Podcast posts each Tuesday during the regular season. You can also subscribe to the show for free on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I'm Sean King. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.